Father, we thank you so much this morning for your presence. We thank you that you, the living God, desire to meet with us. What an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. That you not only desire to meet with us, you desire relationship with us. And oh God, this morning, I pray that we expect you to do extraordinary things in us and through us simply because we are yours. And so God, I pray that you would take the next couple of minutes that we share together, that the things that we have just sung here about desiring your presence and desiring to to see more of you and recognizing the greatness of who you are, God, I pray that we would be met with that today. And ultimately, God, that we would be changed by it. We love you, and we thank you, and we give you all glory and honor and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, man, I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. I'm glad to be able to share uh, with you uh, something that God has laid on my heart and it's been, been, uh, I've been wrestling with for the last couple of weeks. Um, but before, uh, before we kind of get into that, um, if you are connected with me on, on social media or if you uh, are connected with the youth ministry or you were here last Sunday for our local church conference meeting, you know that I had, I made a, a huge announcement that's that's something that's so big and so crazy that I'm still like having trouble wrapping my mind around it uh, right now. Uh, today, uh, May first, actually is is so is such a, a neat day. May first, I don't for me is is a neat day because May first marks my first day at the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church five years ago. And uh, and God has uh, God has sustained us in ministry here, and it's been it's been such a neat uh, it's been such a neat journey to be with you guys uh, during this time, and and you guys you guys have crossed that threshold of being like the place where we've been the longest, which is awesome. I love that. I absolutely love that uh, that God has uh, has provided for us the opportunity to be able to serve among you, and uh, and, uh, and 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 in that like nine years, I've been in youth ministry. For for nine years, uh, it's it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around that. But this last week, uh, we made an announcement that um, I am stepping out of youth ministry. This is kind of a big deal, um, I, as I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love youth ministry. Um, but as as I've been praying about the future, and I've been praying about what God is doing in my life and in the life of the local church. Um, Pastor Mark and I have been having some, some great conversations and I'm looking forward to being able to share a bigger picture with you at another juncture in time as far as, uh, as, far as what my ministry is gonna look like. But right now, what we're calling it is we're calling it group life and I'm so excited about the, uh, the potential for what God is gonna do in that and through that. But, but I wanna share with you a little bit of my personal journey that I've been on for the last year because if... If you know me, again, you know my heartbeat has been youth ministry, and it still, it still very much is. And um, if you would have told me a, about a year ago that I'd be standing up in front of you and, and telling you that, that there's a different direction that, uh, that God has called me to in, in ministry, I would have like very nicely said, like, man, you need to stop taking those crazy pills. I'm really concerned about you. Like, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Um, because again, like I said, I... 
I've been in youth ministry for nine years. It's, all, it's what I've known, and I love it, and, and I still love it. And you have to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> you have to be a little bit crazy to love youth ministry because with that comes like the lock-ins and the, and the, the all-nighters and the, and the nerf nights and, and, uh, and camp and all that stuff, the late-night conversations. And, and for me, uh, youth ministry has been one of those things that I would have, you know, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have told you like, man, I'm gonna be in like one of those like the jazzy electric chairs like in my old age and like I'm still gonna be keeping up with everybody but I'm gonna be a lifer in youth ministry. Um, but God started changing things in me. Now, I've gotta tell you, as kind of like a, 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 a piece of information here that, uh, and kind of, to kind of let you in on this world a little bit, youth ministry is one of those things that's kind of interesting in that some people get into it like with the expectation that I'm gonna be in this for like two or three years, I'm gonna get some experience, and then I'm gonna go be a real pastor somewhere. And I've often had people ask me like, Damien, when are you gonna become a real pastor? And like this change has like never been like about a stepping stone, and it's never been about like looking at something as better or greater. It's just simply something that God has started doing in, in my life and over the past year, as the church has transitioned, God has started transitioning some things in my heart. And I'm a scenarios guy. At any given point in time, in any given conversation, I'm thinking of like two or three different scenarios of ways that I'm gonna be responding to something or how something might play out. And so in my head, I've got all these scenarios and I've had all of these scenarios that have gone on in my mind in the last year. And I know I'm a little weird. I'm a little crazy. I'm, actually, let me take that back. I'm a lot weird and a lot crazy. Vern, you're like, yep, I know that. Um, amen. Um, but like in these, in these scenarios, I, I began to start asking some questions. Um, what's next? What's, what's the next step? What's, what's ahead for the future of the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church? Um, is God drawing me away from Eau Claire? If he's call, what if he's calling me to stay? What if he's calling me to stay, but there's something different that he has for me to do? And, and I've, I've been wrestling with all of these questions among with others, but, but, uh, but beyond the what ifs, and I started asking the question, like, why am I asking these questions? Like, this is, this is the foundation. This is what I know. Why am I asking these questions? And do you ever have one of those moments where, like, it's the thing, but it's not the thing? Like, I started asking those deeper questions beyond the what ifs and started asking questions along the lines of, right now in my life, what are the things that require me to actually have faith? And I'm totally gonna knock your stuff over here, Scott, so I'm just gonna go ahead and move it back because my Italian arms are getting ready to flail here, here as I'm getting excited about this. Um, but I started asking these questions of like, what are the things in my life right now that actually require me to have faith? Like, what are the things that, that God has me in the center of right now that take all of, all of my abilities and my skills and set them aside? If God doesn't show up, I am straight up wrecked. Like, if God doesn't show up and if God doesn't do something that's so big and so outside of, of myself that I'm ruined, like, what are the things that I'm actually doing that require me to actually have faith and actually step out in a confidence of knowing who God is? And this step... This step is one of those things for me. I've, our teens know that I've, I've shared on, on several occasions about what it means to follow Jesus and, and, and taking steps of faith. And I would be remiss if I would speak that stuff and not live that stuff out myself. 
And so some might call this like an identity crisis or a midlife crisis, and I know I'm not that old yet. Um, Hey, hey, you know, you said yes. Um, I know that some may call this like an identity crisis or a midlife crisis or, um, and maybe, maybe you find yourself at places like this too. And, and perhaps you've got circumstances that are in front of you. Maybe there are, um, maybe there are dynamics of a relationship that are shifting. Maybe there's a job that's, that's changing for you. Maybe somebody is either entering your family that a dan- dynamic is going to change. Or maybe there's somebody that's leaving your family. That everything is going to be different. Whatever the circumstances are, we find ourselves at times at crisis points in our life. We find ourselves at crisis points where it is, it's a point where you absolutely have to make a decision. You have to make a decision and the next thing you choose, the next thing you choose will impact everything from there on out. Well, for the sake of, of the message this morning, I, I'd like to call this a Jonah moment that we're, we're gonna be covering a, a couple of, uh, of key moments in the life of Jonah. Uh, we're, we're talking this morning, the, the, the message title is Mission Quest Thing or Jonah's Bizarre Adventure. And, uh, and, and I, wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about what a Jonah moment is because we're gonna be covering a couple of key moments in his life, but, but I wanna give some clarity as far as what I'm talking about when I say a Jonah moment. A Jonah moment is that moment where the mission of God the journey that you're on and the thing that God has already given to you intersect and the next choice that you make will determine the quality of the outcome. Let me say this again. A Jonah moment is that moment where the mission of God, the journey that you're on and the thing that God has already given to you intersect and the next choice you make will determine the quality of the outcome. Well, if you're not familiar with Jonah or you need a little bit of a refresher, we're gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give you just like the quick download, the clef notes, the, the YouTube version of the story of Jonah here in like three minutes and then you'll, you'll understand a little bit of, a, of Jonah and I hope that you go read it because there's a lot more to this story than I'm able to, to cram in in this little, this little uh, uh, overview here. But if you aren't familiar, here's, here's what's going on. Jonah is a, a small book in the Old Testament. Um, he is, uh, and, and it shares his bizarre adventure, his bizarre story. In short, Jonah is a prophet. And, uh, and he's considered to be one of the minor prophets, not because he's any lesser than any of the major prophets, just his book is small. It's four chapters. So it's very easily digestible from the standpoint of like, re- you know, the amount that there is to read. Um, but, uh, but Jonah is a, is a prophet of God. It means that his whole job, the, the scope of his, if you were to write out a job description for, for a prophet, it, it means that, that their job is to speak on behalf of God to warn Israel about their future trajectory based on their evaluation of Israel's past and their present. Yet there's this twist in Jonah's story that nobody sees coming. God calls Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh. This is an enemy city. This, this would have been incredibly offensive to the people of that day. Like, 
Israel's God is Israel's God and Israel's God only blesses Israel. Like that's the mindset that's going on in this, this time. And, 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 and not only is, is Nineveh an enemy city, but they have zero regard for God. I mean, they, they worship Dagon. Dagon is this half man, half fish baddie who is also Baal's daddy. And if Baal worship was at the center of most of the Old Testament conflicts, you can imagine how much more ugly the worship of Dagon was. But the God of Israel wanted to capture the hearts of the people of Nineveh. And so he sends Jonah in after him. Well, like a smart person would do and somebody who has had experience, you know, working along with the Lord in things like this, Jonah does the thing that you'd expect to be the logical conclusion uh, of this. He runs in the other direction. <laughs> Now, let me just pause here. I'm going to give you like a sermon within a sermon. Like if God is telling you to do something, it's generally a smart idea to listen to him. <laughs> because things like what I'm about to share with you end up happening like when we like tend to veer off in the other direction. But Jonah, he, he hops on a boat. He goes in the opposite direction of where God told, told him to go. And he doesn't even keep it a secret. It's not like, it's like, it's not like he's har harboring this little thing. He, like, he tells the, the crew of the ship that he gets on. Like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm running from God. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. And so, so the boat hits a storm and the sailors get scared and they're trying to figure out like what's going on here and, 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 and they know Jonah's story. And so Jonah kind of goes to him and he's like, well, I think it's kind of my fault. So why don't you just go ahead and throw me overboard? That'll solve everything. And they kind of debate about it a little bit and finally, reluctantly, they decide, you know what, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna, we're gonna listen to Jonah and, and God sends, God sends this, uh, this giant fish to swallow Jonah up. And after three days inside the fish, Jonah is delivered as a hot mess on the shores before he travels to Nineveh. And from there, he goes into this grouping of cities. So Nineveh is like this grouping of cities that's about 60 miles in circumference. And he goes in there and he goes through the streets and he's preaching and they repent and God holds off his destruction of the city. That's a great story. End of story, right? Wrong. Now, before I get into the text that we're going to get into, because we're, we're going to get into the final part of Jonah's story. But if you've ever been skeptical about Christianity, if you've ever had like any ounce of like skepticism, like the book of Jonah is kind of like low-hanging fruit. Like, and if you don't know what low-hanging fruit is, it's kind of like the, the easy thing to pick at and get at. Like Jonah's kind of low-hanging fruit in this that, that uh, you know, some people would look at this and be like, okay, this is easy pickings. I mean, this is just a fish story of biblical proportion. You know what I'm saying when, when, with a fish story, right? The, you know, the fish you initially caught is this big and then every story it kind of gets a little, little bit bigger until, yeah, until it's a bear. And I don't even know where the bear comes from, but, uh, but sometimes that's where fish stories turn. But, but I would contend with the book of Jonah that, that it's, it's, it's incredibly valued and it's incredibly important, not simply because it's in the Bible, but because it's ugly and it's honest and Jesus himself, he, he references it, but he not only references it, but he validates its claim by telling the crowds of people that they are about to witness something as audacious as what the people in Jonah's day witnessed. A three days in the grave, a resurrection and great redemption. And this is the springboard from where we're gonna get into the final chapter 
of Jonah's story. You can follow along with me on the screen or you can follow along with me in the Bible. In the rack in front of you, we're gonna be in Jonah chapter four. Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one. But Jonah, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is it not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and he sat at the, at, the east, at the place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do. He said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about a vine though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? And that's where it ends. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great ending? Like Jonah winds over a plant, the end. <laughs> Remember, Jonah's a prophet. Like, his, his story here for us really is a cautionary tale of what might be. Uh, but this is where we have the benefit of history. I had, a, I had a professor in college that said that we study history so that we don't repeat the mistakes uh, of the past. And with Jonah's story, we have, the, we have the, the, the benefit and the hindsight of being able to look back and not, un, not miss out on understanding our mission we, we won't miss out on inviting God into our journey and letting him use our thing and we let him take the lead on what we do next. And we're gonna set Jonah's story aside for a minute and I promise that we're gonna come back to it because there are three questions that are at the heart of this story that we really need to answer to understand both the tragedy and the hope that Jonah's story gives to us as well as the hope that there is for our own story as well. So the first question is this, what is my mission? What is my mission? What's your mission? So my mission, my mission is the same as yours if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The mission of the Christian life is to actively participate in God's rescue mission and redemptive work. The mission of the Christian life is to actively participate in God's rescue mission and redemptive work. So how do we do this? Well, we do this by living out the great commission in the spirit of the great commandments by gathering and scattering as the church. 
So the, the, the Great Commission, what does this look like? It's, it's some, of, some of Jesus' final instructions to, uh, to his disciples, and it's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and, and we could call this our mission commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see the picture of what's going on here? There are elements of gathering together. So we have these elements of, of, of gathering here that are the teaching and the baptizing and the obeying God's commands together. It's the thing that happens when we come together in places like this in unity, that we learn together and we grow together and we pray together, but, but we do these things not solely for the purpose of coming together. I mean, if, if gathering was all we did, we would just be an ineffective holy huddle in a building separated away from a community and a world that desperately needs us. There's also elements of scattering where we have to go. We, we go and, and, uh, and, we, and we go into our, our, our different neighborhoods and our workplaces and, uh, and we, we scatter. We scatter making disciples. Some might say this is an impossible task. Some might look at our world today and say, you know what, it's so dark, it's so messed up, like how, how on earth are we gonna be able to actually do this? And the beauty is this, that if all authority is given to Jesus and we are his church, it means that we have access to that authority as well. Throughout the Bible, there's this picture that's given of the church, it's called the bride of Christ, and if, if that's the case, it means that there is a union between, between Jesus and his church, that, that Jesus gives us the strength that we need in order to carry out this mission that he's called us to. And much like a loving husband does not withhold anything from himself or anything he has from his beloved bride, the same is true with Christ and ourselves. And we're empowered to do this as we keep letter B we keep the commands. And these are found in Matthew 28, verses 37 through 40. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Like everything is encompassed by these two things. Now hear me out here. Because it's easy for us to look at this and just simply like, wrap this idea of love God, love people up in this like nice, neat little package of saying, well, well, the love is just to be like universally accepting of, of all things and, and that's not entirely the case. If we truly love God, Jesus would clarify this in, in John uh, chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you keep my commands. And within these commands, we're empowered to speak lovingly to one another, to share each other's joys, to pray for each other, to win over temptation and sin, to encourage each other, to be generous, to be gracious, to safeguard the church from false teaching, to lovingly rebuke each other when, when correction is needed, ultimately to help us to obey everything that God has commanded us in order to reflect Christ in all that we say and all we do. And these two passages are really integral to living out the call of God that he has placed on each and every one of you and, and myself. Did you hear that? God has called you. 
you are called by God to himself for his purposes, which leads us to number two, question number two, your quest. What is my quest? Your quest is the journey that you take to live out your calling. Your quest is where you find yourself right now. Your current life circumstances, your job, your geographic location, your neighborhood, and the paths your quest takes is influenced by your past experiences, your current circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams. If we're living on mission, if we're living on the mission that Jesus has called us to, your current quest will connect you with people that you will interact with who you may be the only picture of Jesus that they get to see. And he may connect you with needs that he has uniquely equipped you and postured you to meet. And while your mission never changes, your quest may. Think about it like this. You may change jobs. You may move into a new neighborhood. Uh, You may graduate. You may change classrooms. You may get new neighbors. Your quest is the uniquely strategic position in which God has placed you. And if this seems scary to you, good. You can't do it alone. And you're not meant to. Remember that point of the Great Commission where Jesus says, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end. Not only that, he's given us each other as well. He's given us his Holy Spirit as we're walking with him. He, his very presence, we sang about this earlier, that his very presence is, is walking with us. And he's empowering us to complete the quests that are set out before us. Which brings us to the final intersection of the Jonah moment. What is your thing? And by your thing, I don't mean like the, it's your thing, do what you want to do. Um, so I watched Ocean's Eleven like a couple of years back and that song stuck with me. Um, anyway, your thing is the area that God has given you an unmistakable passion and the skills to match to see God's kingdom advance. Did you know that there is something that each and every one of you is skilled at and that God has given you passion for? There are things, that in, everybody in this room has things that God has uniquely given you skills and abilities and passions for. Those things are from God and he, he empowers those things. And, 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 I, and I gotta say this, and I gotta say this really, really boldly because I believe this, I believe this to be true. Like some of you have yet to discover what your gifts are and, and our hope in the, in the near future is to help you discover those things but I want to make a bold statement and say that I believe that today that there are people in this room that God wants to uniquely and strategically use to move his kingdom forward and it's not going to be in the way that we think it is. And it's not going to be in the way that it's always been done. And it's going to look different. And it might look kind of funny. And it may not be the most conventional way. 
But what I knew to be true is the same thing that, um, that uh, author Donald Miller talked about in an interview about, uh, he was asked a question about, about giftings and abilities and, and whether or not he thought that there were some people who were you know, more equipped or more gifted than other people. And he said, look, he said, you know, really what it comes down to is this is understanding that everybody has different gifts and different talents and different levels of abilities, but the people who are the most skilled and the best at their, at their craft are the people who acknowledge the same thing and that that gift is not for the person that is gifted. Their gift is for the benefit of other people. Their gift is for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Now I've got to share a, a little bit of a confession with you. Um, we, we've kind of done a poor job at celebrating some of those things. I mean, I, I think that we, we do a really, really good job when, when somebody comes to us and, and says that they've, they've been called, and they, God has called them into vocational ministry, and, and that's a, a noble calling. But man, we, we really haven't celebrated the, God, the, the callings that God has placed on those who are pursuing or currently engaged in other fields like arts and sciences. And I'm not trying to downplay pastoral ministry. Like, I love, I love pastoral ministry. Don't get me wrong, but I think that, that alongside, and I truly believe this, that alongside of passionate preachers in the pulpit, that he also desires to fill the market with passionately skilled godly nurses and nannies, lawyers and welders, teachers and engineers, programmers and scientists, artists and authors, bricklayers, filmmakers and dancers, financial advisors and chicken fryers, police officers, pastry chefs, and even by God's strength and his grace alone, politicians. But all of them are people, all of them are people who are plying their craft, who are working at their craft as though they were working for Jesus Christ himself. Do you catch this? I mean, this is a really, really beautiful picture of the church. It's, it's diverse and it's beautiful, just like Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about this body that's made up of different parts that have different functions and, and different places of recognition. And, and, and all of them are a part of this thing that Christ is the head of and that he is steering the body. And it's also the same thing that he wrote to the Colossian church where he says, and whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How beautifully freeing it is to know that God has provided such a broad entry point for us to become part of his redemptive plan in the world. Now, let me clarify this here a second. The road is still narrow. Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. The way to God is narrow. However, there is a spacious freedom as we enter the family of God and becoming a part of God's mission. Not only that, as followers of Jesus, God has called you a righteous priest, a holy nation. You may be the pastor of your thing. You may be the pastor of your thing where God has given you something and he is calling you to something that is so unique and so different that he is calling you to be a pioneer in that thing. And what's so exciting to me about this is that as the church begins to understand these concepts and live them out, we are seeing extraordinary inroads that are being made into enemy territory. 
as a result of people living in their giftings and passions that God has placed in them, people are reaching out boldly. We're seeing men and women who, who have been entrenched in the pornography industry being met with the good news and the forgiveness of Christ by the people at X Church. We're seeing men and women of biblical integrity and authority leading businesses. We're seeing excellence in art by people who aren't satisfied with anything less than reflecting the excellence of their creator. And much like the Galants shared with us a couple of weeks ago about their passion for Cambodia, the passion of God for your thing is for the same purposes God has called them, no dark places. May we be part of a movement in the church to see now dark places in our professions and in our neighborhoods be eliminated and may we empower and support and send this generation and the next into places where the light of Christ is so desperately needed because when you allow God to use your thing to his glory, you make headway on your quest, assisting in the fulfillment of God's mission. And so right now you're probably wondering, why on earth did Jonah get dragged into all of this? What does he have to do with any of this? What about that stupid vine? Like, what is that, how does this all come together? And what does this have to do with me? Well, this still has to do with Jonah's story. And it very much has to do with your story and mine as well. Well, Jonah doesn't have the benefit or he didn't have the benefit of sitting in the, under the teaching of Jesus. Um, he still had God's admonishing of loving him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself, not holding any grudges against them. Not only that, like the Blues Brothers, he was on a mission from God. I mean, he wasn't trying to get the band back together or anything like that, but he was trying to redeem the Ninevite people and draw them to himself. And Jonah knows that this is the mission of God, but rather than gladly joining it, he pouts. He drags his feet. He says, God, I knew you were gracious and compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love, but I don't want to. I don't want to. It's different. They're different. I don't, I don't want them to be a part of this. Jonah knew God's mission. He knew the mercies of God for his creation. He also knew his position as a prophet. He'd seen God's repentance. He's seen what's happened as people have repented and they've turned to God but Jonah's passion was misplaced. You see, Jonah looked out for number one. Jonah was a patriot, but he put patriot before prophet. He longed for the destruction of Israel's enemies, including the Ninevites. Like, that's, that's how he thought that Israel was going to be blessed. Like, God was just going to destroy everybody else, and so, like, all there was was them. And Jonah, at the end, was more concerned about his comfort in the shade of a plant that God had created. But he really couldn't be bothered about the impending destruction of 120,000 people that were right in front of him just because they were different. And God calls him out on it. And for all of time since, this is how Jonah's story ends. It ends in embarrassment. It ends in being called out. But remember, though, Jesus redeems Jonah's story. He redeems it by mirroring Jonah's journey, but with different results. Because Jesus' mission was the mission of God. And his quest was God's quest. And his thing 
His very life was summed up in his words, not my will, but yours be done. Now, friends, hear me. Um, God is calling you and I to himself. He's calling us to his mission and to your quest to leverage your thing in order to redeem this church and this community and your relationships through his work in and through you. And if you're here this morning and, uh, and, you, and you have, you really don't identify yourself as a Christian and you're like asking questions about like, what does it look like? You know, can anybody actually like live like that? Like, like what we're talking about here this morning, like this is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, we, we understand who, who God is and, and we walk in relationship with him and, and he's called us to like these things that are bigger than ourselves, but, but we get to be a part of those things. And, and I believe this morning that, I believe this morning that if, if that's you and, and you're hearing this and you're like, man, I don't even understand it, but there's something that's exciting about that that I want in. Like, I want to invite you to be a part of that this morning. And, and maybe this morning is, is a step for you where you recognize that God is inviting you on a journey that can start today and what you choose next will make all of the difference. But friends, for all of us here this morning, it's gonna take us doing things a little bit differently than we've done them. Are you ready for that? I know I am. I know I'm ready to see what God can do in my life and in your life as we allow God to leverage our circumstances and our talents and our abilities and skills in order to be a part of his redemption and his rescue mission for this world. We live in a world that's desperately in need of rescue. And God has a plan, and he invites you to be a part of it. I'm going to invite the worship team up to close here. I know we've gone a couple of minutes uh, a little later here this morning. But I want to invite you to stand with me. And maybe this morning, as, as we've been talking about this idea of, uh, of the mission and quest and thing, maybe, maybe there's something in you that said, man, like, I might even not, not even know, like, what my thing is. I might not even know the full scope of what's around me. And maybe this morning is a morning that just between you and God, you take some time and, and evaluate what is it that's the thing that he's calling you to. Remember, the mission never changes. The mission never changes. The way that we go about it may change. But he's calling you to himself. And I would ask you to answer that call this morning. Maybe you need to take some time up here at an altar praying with other people. Maybe there are some things that there are some, there are some people that God has strategically placed you around that there are things that God is calling you to collectively as a group. Maybe you scatter together and you go into a neighborhood and maybe this is, maybe this is the starting point for you where you're like, I don't even know. I, like, I don't even know what God wants from me. I don't, I don't even know, but I just, I know that I want in. And maybe this is you. And I'd ask you to come up and we'll, we'll pray together. But uh, we're going to sing the song, Rooftops. It's a newer song to us. But the, the chorus of the song is the declaration that I want us to, 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 uh, to, to answer this challenge on. Of, of So I shout out your name. And from the rooftops I proclaim that I am yours. And all that I am I place into your loving hands. For I am yours. May that be the answer to God's call this morning.
God, who is gracious and compassionate, empower you to live the same way. And may you go from here understanding and living out your mission, your quest, and your thing. Be blessed as you go from here today.